Israel Story is brought to you by Project Kesher. Project Kesher is a nonprofit organization that empowers and invests in women. They develop Jewish women leaders and interfaith coalitions in Belarus, Russia, Ukraine, and Israel. They deliver Torahs to women who've never held one before, broadcast women's health information on Ukrainian public radio, and help Russian-speaking immigrants to Israel advocate for equal rights. Learn more at projectkeshir.org. And now, to our episode. I was born in Beersheba, I grew up in Beersheba. That's Gadi Wittner. Today, Gadi's... Uh, 50 years old. But 40 years ago, when Gadi was just 10, he was sent out on an errand that basically landed him where he is today. My mother sent me to buy milk. I find a puppy. I just take the puppy, bring it to my mother, and she said, no, 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 he's not going to stay here. Sorry. And she took me together with the puppy to the shelter, the SPCA Beersheva. The SPCA, or Tsar Baalei Chaim, is the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. They mainly give shelter to abandoned and injured cats and dogs, and try to find homes for them. They also have a lot of educational activities and raise awareness for the well-being of animals. The Israeli chapter was actually founded long before the state, in 1927, during the British Mandate. Anyway, Gadi and his mother stepped into the local Be'er Sheva branch, and Gadi couldn't believe his eyes. I, I remember I was in shock. I saw so many dogs barking and barking, and I, I was so sad, like I understood it's not a good place for them. And they was begging, like they begging to me. They want that I come and, you know, and play with them and uh, talk to them and maybe hug them. So then I, I, I realized that I need to come almost every day. And then I start to come almost every day after school, instead of school, uh, in Saturdays, in holidays. That was my uh, all childhood. Gadi became an extremely committed volunteer. Cleaning the shelter, walking with the dogs around, uh, selling cookies and lemonade to make a donation for the dogs and cats. Uh, everything, everything, uh, really. It's in my heart, I don't know. It's something that I grow with. I, I cannot see animals that suffering and they need help and not to do anything. And did you convince your mother to uh, let you keep the dog? I tried to, but uh, I didn't success. But after... Uh, she, they agreed that we have a dog and we adopt a dog uh, in Beersheba and we have a dog. But uh, the first one that she said no, it's changed my life, I think. I think, because uh, she took me to the SPCA, who knows? Maybe I didn't know the SPCA if she didn't take me there. Gadi ultimately left Beersheba and moved to Tel Aviv. But one thing hasn't changed. From then, I, <laughs> I didn't leave the SPCA. <laughs> For the last 20 years, he served as the organization's spokesperson. And let's just say he's been pretty busy since the pandemic struck. In the corona time, it's starting very bad. A lot of people start to abandon the animals. 
we were scared that wow what's going to be now we're going to have so many animals that people want to throw away people was scared if they can bring disease to them you know the corona if they pass the corona or they I don't know it's contagious or not contagious people was in panic a little bit the number of abandoned animals spiked and amid all the uncertainty and chaos of those early days Gadi and his colleagues tried to reassure the public tell the people don't be afraid it's not contagious from animals to human beings and for human beings to animals don't be afraid and then something happened suddenly SPCA shelters around the country were packed but not with abandoned animals instead they were packed with people seeking to adopt a quarantine companion you know how many people want to adopt dogs and cats in the corona time I think the virus corona did something great for the abandoned animals. Almost all the shelters in Israel are empty now. Adoption, 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 adoption. Everyday adoption, a lot of adoption. I never see that before. Never, never, never see that before. Unbelievable. It's something that, I don't know what to say. Thanks you, Corona. Wow, it's very good for the dogs and the cats. But I don't want the Corona stay, for sure. I don't want. Uh, but I want the dogs and cats find a good place. And why do you think it is that during Corona, suddenly everyone wanted to adopt a dog? People don't want to be alone. People want to take care of someone. People want to be together, uh, hug someone maybe. And the children was at home alone and they need someone to be with them. It's good for the children, of course. So that's the reason. One of those new dog owners is Tzion. My name is uh, Tzion Mizrahi. I'm 29 soon years old. Um, I live in Tel Aviv, in Florentine, and my dog name is Kimi. Before Corona, Tzion was a stage manager, but on March 5th he was let go. He's always loved dogs and thought that one day, in the future, he'd adopt one. It's a huge commitment, basically, and I always thought when, I, when I'm in a relationship or something, maybe I will get a dog, but it's not the situation at the moment, it's just I... Um, during the corona, I felt like I, it's kind of dark to say it, but I felt like I don't really have a reason to wake up in the morning. Yeah, I felt like a dog can be perfect for the situation. What was the first night like when you brought her home? <laughs> it was like to have a baby, <laughs> I swear. It was, uh, I, I woke up, I think at 6 a.m. because I heard some noise and I was like, what's, what's up, what's up? And she was completely fine, actually. She's the perfect dog. She, she's really quiet. She never barks. I talk with her a lot and I have someone to, to take care of. I don't know, it's something that's in me, I guess. It's a Moroccan thing <laughs> uh, to take care of someone. And I, yeah, I am really happy about it. I'm really happy that she's here. I feel the bond between us growing more and more. For now, the only thing I really care about is Kimi. It's like uh, she's my little baby. (laughs) (laughs) But not everyone's as committed as Tzion. And as happy as Gadi was to see so many animals find new homes, he was worried that something else might be going on here. You see, back in March and April, when Israelis were ordered to quarantine at home, one of the only legal ways of venturing out of the house 
was to walk your dog. Do you think that some people actually adopted a dog so that they could get out of the house? I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm positive, I'm positive. Yes, yes, yes. He and his colleagues were afraid that as soon as the government would ease the quarantine restrictions, folks would just return the dogs. They did their absolute best to screen people and enumerate the various responsibilities of having a pet. Dogs are not uh, telephones, are not uh, plants, are not pillows. They have a heart, they have feelings, we cannot hurt them. And that spiel more or less worked. Of the 200-plus dogs that were adopted from the SPCA's Tel Aviv shelter during Corona, only 20 were brought back. 20 dogs, it's sad, but uh, it's okay. It's okay. For now, it's okay. And, uh, and I hope it's going to stay like that. I hope. The other 180 are, as far as Gadi knows, as happy as could be. Including, well, the two dogs that he himself adopted. In the corona, we adopt two dogs. The Lily the Bambi, that's her name. And we love them. And so now we have three cats and two dogs. Happy, happy house. <laughs> I asked Gadi about something Tzion had told me. That the act of rescuing, of saving, really went both ways. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely say that she saved me in some way. Do you think that for some people, saving a dog was actually a form of saving themselves? Yeah, I think you you said it uh, right. People uh, save uh, another life to save their own life. It's a, it's a good way to save yourself. If you take a dog, you take care of a dog, you walk with a dog, you give love for the dogs. The dogs give you big, big love back. And uh, I think it's, yeah, it's a, it's a win-win situation. Hey, I'm Ishi Harman, and this is Israel Story. As you probably know, we're in the middle of our Alone Together mini-series, in which we're exploring life in Israel in times of corona. We've already crashed various life celebrations that took place during quarantine, a circumcision, a wedding, a birthday. We ventured back to the earliest days of the pandemic and met both patient number seven and the nurse who cared for the country's first casualty. We've tried to understand the Haredi community's experience of simultaneously battling both high infection rates and widespread discrimination. And today, our fourth stop on this journey, we turn our attention to lifesavers. And no, not those lifesavers. Tweet, tweet. Twiddle, twiddle. And not, as you might expect, the doctors, nurses, and medical staff who are on the front line day in and day out. But rather to the delicate interplay of saving and being saved. If God forbid you find yourself in a medical emergency in Israel, you dial 101 for Magen David Adom. But more often than not, before an ambulance will show up, someone else will appear on the scene, often riding a motorcycle. These are the volunteer medics of a national organization called United Hatzala, or Yichud Hatzala in Hebrew. And those extra moments, they can literally be the difference between life and death. Yichud Atzala has a massive network of trained volunteers. The vast majority of them are regular people going about their daily lives. 
But because there are so many of them, and because they're scattered all over the country, from Druze villages to ultra-Orthodox neighborhoods, there's almost always someone nearby whenever an emergency arises. Hatzalah means rescue, and that was the name that Rabbi Herschel Weber gave a new volunteer emergency service he created in Brooklyn, New York, back in the late 1960s. The idea was to improve rapid medical response to the local Hasidic community of Williamsburg, and to act as a bridge between EMTs and the largely Yiddish-speaking population. Hatzalah, or Hatzalah, as it was known in Yiddish, quickly took off, and before long expanded to other Jewish neighborhoods in New York, and even to other states. The idea of Hatzalah made aliyah, so to speak, in 1989. And it was all thanks to a teenager from Jerusalem, a guy called Eli. For more than three decades now, Eli and Atzalah have been synonymous. But as we'll hear in our story today, sometimes being saved is much harder than you'd imagine. Here's Joel Shupak with the most important seconds. As they see it, the Beer family of Jerusalem is totally ordinary. Our family is a regular family. Except that they all happen to be, well, superheroes. We just do our thing, eating breakfast, saving lives. See what I mean? Completely normal. This is the eldest daughter, Avigail. I'm Avigail Beer, 24 years old, single. And this is Avigail's father, Ellie. So my name is uh, Ellie Beer, Beer like the drink. Though he looks like your average middle-aged dad, more Clark Griswold than Clark Kent, his whole life is about one thing, saving people in distress. He's the founder and president of United Hatzalah, an organization that responds to roughly 1,800 calls a day and has, according to the Israel Heart Society, reduced the rate of cardiac arrest deaths in Israel by as much as 50%. We get an alert on the phone and we just stop everything we're doing and we run out and we get there in 90 seconds. They don't transport people to the hospital themselves, but rather administer emergency care at the scene till Magenda Vida Dome arrives. Now, private emergency medical services exist around the world, of course, but Ellie's is unique. While most focus on a specific neighborhood or community, United Hatzalah covers the entire country. There are Jewish volunteers, Muslim volunteers, Christian volunteers, Druze volunteers, religious, secular, you name it. And what's more, their services are completely free. Wherever there's an emergency, Ellie's volunteer medics show up wearing their version of a cape, a bright orange safety vest. For Ellie, Hatzalah is absolutely everything. Hatzalah is his entire world. That's the only thing he cared about. For more than 30 years now, he's been single-mindedly focused on saving lives. At least, that is. Until the ambulances show up. And then, I go to the next one. On to the next emergency. He's been the first responder at countless catastrophes. Car accidents, bombings, stabbings, heart attacks. But these days, like a true superhero, Ellie spends most of his time flying. Literally. We actually call him Avinu Shebashamayim. That's our father who is in heaven. Because he's in the sky uh, traveling 
from city to city and from country to country all the time. See, while the rest of his family is busy making breakfast and saving lives in Jerusalem, Eli crisscrosses the globe, raising money for United Hatzalah. In fact, he's only home for a total of two months out of the year. Two months. That means he misses birthdays, anniversaries, Shabbat dinners, holidays, all in order to spread the gospel of better ambulance networks around the world. But what happens when this Hatzalah Superman meets his kryptonite? Every superhero has an origin story. Bit by a radioactive spider. Ouch! It bit me! Why is it glowing that way? Sent from the planet Krypton. His dense molecular structure will make him strong. Sculpted from clay and raised by Amazons. You must find the strongest Amazon maiden and send her to the United States. Ellie grew up in Bait Vagan, an Orthodox neighborhood in Jerusalem. And like all superheroes, he was originally pretty unremarkable. I was like a little geek, you know, and uh, I wasn't such a popular person. But on June 2nd, 1978, he saw something that would change the rest of his life. As he was walking home from school with his older brother, the number 12 bus exploded right in front of them. He and his brother were safe, but six people were killed and 19 were injured. Young Ellie was traumatized. I was so bothered by what I saw, and I I grew up with this uh, desire to go ahead and save people's lives. That led me to joining an ambulance when I was 15 years old. Many Israeli teenagers volunteer as EMTs, emergency medical technicians, with Magen David Adom. They undergo training, get to ride in an ambulance, and hopefully help people in need. For Ellie, this was almost a dream come true. I helped a lot of people. We transported people, we bandaged people, but I never actually got to save anyone. And then, a year and a half into volunteering, the Magenda Vida Dome dispatcher got an urgent call. A seven-year-old boy across town was choking on a hot dog. And we were the ambulance that was sent to save this child. They put on the siren and sped off. But it was terrible traffic. It took us 21 minutes to arrive. By the time we got there, we heard the screaming and yelling from the mother. And while we were working on this kid, a doctor who lived a block away, he was actually walking his dog and he came into the apartment and he started helping us. And a few minutes later, he said, just bring a sheet to cover him. There was nothing to do. In that moment, I had like an epiphany. This child could have been saved if this doctor would have known 20 minutes earlier. He lives in the neighborhood. He's a block away. And that epiphany? It was the seed that ultimately grew into what is now United Hatzalah. What if, Ellie thought, every block had an undercover medic, a regular person with a secret identity? People who would go about their day as usual, and then, at the drop of a hat, or the beep of a pager, would transform into lifesavers and rush to the scene, just as a citizen was in trouble. He pitched his idea to Magendavida Dome, but they weren't interested. So he decided to go at it himself. One small snag, he wasn't even 18 years old yet. Nothing comes easy. Anything that comes easy is not a real good idea. He collected some friends, and together they bought a police scanner to find out about emergencies, and some walkie-talkies to alert nearby volunteers. We heard the address, we heard the name, we heard everything, and we would actually respond to the call. That's how we did it. And that's how we started, with 15 people with chutzpah chasing uh, emergency calls 
Then one day, it finally happened. Ellie was working at his father's bookshop, casually listening to his walkie-talkie. A call came in, reporting a car accident in front of a bakery just down the street. And uh, I just ran out of the store. I think I left the store without any people watching over the cash register. It took me 30 seconds to get there. I got to a, a man who was laying on the floor, uh, bleeding terribly from a car accident. The car hit him. People surrounding him, they didn't know what to do, and I, I knew what to do. The guy from the bakery was trying his best to help. He was running in and out of his store, trying to bring things to, for me to stop the bleeding. Tissues, napkins, and I stopped his bleeding by using my yarmulke on my head because I had no bandages on me. And believe it or not, it worked. Ellie Beer had finally saved someone's life. It was the best feeling in the world. Once they save one person, that was it. You're done. It's like a drug addiction, you know? You don't want to stop. Word of the dramatic rescue traveled fast. So I became like a little hero in the neighborhood. And actually, uh, uh, it was good also for the female uh, situation of mine because I was so uh, geeky. And uh, <laughs> Pretty soon, people wanted to join him. Like within two months, we were 30. And then we were 45 and 60 and 80 and 100. Even the guy bringing tissues from the bakery became a volunteer. And as for Ellie's female situation, well, just a couple years later, he married Gitti, who he refers to as his, quote, second wife. His first, of course, is Hatsala. So that's how it all started. Ellie had gone from a geeky kid to a local superhero. Today, after many organizational twists and turns, mergers, splits, renamings, etc., United Hatsala has 6,000 volunteers, all working together with a common goal, to save lives. We are there for the most important seconds of a person's life. In mid-March 2020, Ellie was in Miami at the end of a long fundraising trip. I was in India, I was in Canada, I was in New York, I was in Qatar. By then, COVID was all anyone was talking about. But there was also a lot of confusion. Official guidelines were changing by the day, and different countries seemed to be implementing very different policies. Many American states were still carrying on as usual, but Israel, acting more decisively perhaps, had already started to shut down. Ellie thought it was overkill. I actually said this to people. All these reactions that countries are doing are ridiculous. It was Purim, and he went to a party at a local shul. I dressed up as Superman. Yeah. But before long, he wasn't feeling so super anymore. The next day after that, I felt a little weird. It started with a mild fever. 99. Despite his general skepticism, Ellie played it safe. I canceled all my meetings and all my events. And a few days later, I had a hard time breathing. So I called my friend who was a doctor, and he says, just go to the hospital. I thought they're going to say, ah, you're fine, just go back home. But they said, um, you have to go into ICU. His blood oxygen level was dangerously low. They took a test, and the next day they said, I'm positive, COVID-19. At the start of what was sure to be a crucial period for his organization, a time when the world would need as many superheroes as it could possibly get, Ellie was suddenly out of commission. He was taken to an isolated wing of the University of Miami Hospital. 
doctors and nurses were covered head to toe in protective gear. They looked like they were flying in space. His family knew where he was, of course, but they weren't too worried. He was, after all, Ellie Beer. Ellie Beer wasn't something that would die. You know, that's what they thought. Three days later, my situation got worse and worse, and they said they had no choice but to put me into a coma, put a pipe in my lungs, and intubate me. Well, I'm a volunteer of Atzala for 32 years, and I know what intubation means. It's not something we do to people who are healthy and in good shape. You do this to people who are very sick. They gave me some time to digest it, and they gave me time to speak to people. He recorded a video message for all his fellow Hatsala volunteers. Hi, everyone. This is my fourth day in the ICU in uh, Miami. Ellie was doing his best to seem confident and resolute, but honestly, it's like watching Samson after losing his strength. My situation is difficult. My breathing is getting worse. The doctors recommended to put me to sleep. Intubate me. His eyes were hardly open. His breath extremely labored. So, I needed to keep dominating, keep doing mitzvahs, and continue supporting United Atzala. It's so important. Right now, I can't do my job and raise funds for Atzala. Make sure that people's lives are saved. I hope to meet you out of the hospital soon healthy. And I hope you're all healthy. No one should ever get sick with this terrible disease. Have a good Shabbos. Back in Jerusalem, Ellie's worried family was gathered together for Shabbat. Here's Avigail again, his daughter. It was Shabbos, really late after the meal. We were sitting, the entire family, except my mom, she fell asleep. And we were just doing this big puzzle. It's uh, a boat in the ocean. And you can see the sunlight going down. It's a beautiful puzzle. The phone rings and we stopped doing the puzzle. I called three or four times. They didn't answer because Shabbat. We keep Shabbat because we're Orthodox. Eventually they answered. They knew it was serious. If I call them on Shabbat, this was serious. This wasn't a joke. When I answered the phone, I told him, Daddy, it's Friday night. Why are you calling? He wasn't really breathing well, so he was really hard for him to say the words. So he started crying and he said that he loves us and that we should continue saving lives and doing good things in Israel. I I told him, listen, I'm going to be away for a few days. I'm shutting my phone. Uh, They're putting me to sleep. Don't worry. They are great doctors here. They know what they're doing. I knew I have a 50% chance of not recovering. I knew they knew, and they knew I knew, and it was like uh, it wasn't said. And with that, it was time. So once they put the the medication to put you into a coma, you don't have time to think. It takes 30 seconds or less. It was like, I have to breathe, this is it. And you disappear. (laughs) 
This episode of Israel Story is sponsored by Kuchinate. Kuchinate is a women's collective that empowers African asylum seekers living in Tel Aviv. At Kuchinate, which means to crochet in Tigrinya, women create beautiful crafts rooted in various African cultures. Many of the women are survivors of human trafficking and abuse. And Kuchinate is a place for them to come together in community, earn a fair wage, and receive psychological support. For more information, and to view their gorgeous products, which I should say fill my entire apartment, go to kuchinate.com. That's K-U-C-H-I-N-A-T-E dot com. If you too would like to sponsor episodes of Israel Story, contact us at sponsor at israelstory.org. Now, sponsoring an episode is an amazing way of telling the entire Israel Story community, folks in literally 194 countries around the world, about your brand, your company, or your organization. We've even had individual people who chose to celebrate a loved one by sponsoring an episode in their honor. And no less important, sponsoring our episodes is a way to support our work and to allow us to continue to produce the content we've been bringing you for the last five seasons. So it really is a win all around. Again, email us at sponsor at israelstory.org. And now, back to our story, and to Eli Bir, the superhero from Jerusalem, who had just been put into a medically induced coma in Miami. Here's Joel. It was March 20th. Passover was less than three weeks away, and Ellie's family hoped he would be home by then. In the beginning, we were really optimist. Our father is is a lion. But days passed, and Ellie continued to sleep. After a few weeks, nothing changed. On March 31st, 11 days after Ellie was intubated, United Hatzalah organized a virtual mass prayer for his recovery. The following week, as Ellie lay unconscious in his hospital bed in Miami, the rest of the beers in Jerusalem cleaned the house and prepared for the Passover Seder. My mom decided this Pesach is going to be the best Pesach and no one's going to cry on the table and we're just going to have fun even though our father is not with us. So we're all reading and singing and my sister, she's 12 year old, she started saying the Manishtana. The Manishtana, the four questions. Um, and she said, Manishtana Laila Why is this night different from all other nights? That our father is not with us. And then she started crying. We all started crying, and my mom said, Stop crying! We're not crying this meal! Later that evening, a Hatsala alert popped up on their phones. And true to Ellie's final instructions, Avigail and her mother ran off to help deliver a baby in the neighborhood. The very next day, Ellie was finally stable enough to be taken off the ventilator. But his condition was still very precarious. So after 21 days, they woke him up. He looked very bad. He didn't know what's going on. When they woke me up, I didn't know where I was. 
once they put you to sleep, you don't know what's happening. You go into a world of terrible, scary miseries. You go into dreaming very bad things. He was like weak and he lost a lot of weight and he couldn't even talk. In the middle of us speaking to him, he started throwing up. A few hours later, my situation got much worse. I got a terrible pneumonia. And then they called us from the hospital and they said they had to put him back on uh, intubation. And that's the moment that we said, okay, maybe it's not gonna be a good ending. Maybe he's gonna die. Half a world away, Ellie's eyes remained closed. But it wasn't a calm sleep. Instead, it was filled with feverish hallucinations. In his mind, he was traveling all over the world, skipping from one disaster to the next. I dreamt about trying to save people and everyone's dying. Like, people were drowning in a, in a flooding. The world was falling apart in my dreams. For Ellie, this was his worst kind of nightmare because he couldn't do what he does best, save lives. On April 14th, nearly a month after Ellie had first gone under, his daughter Avigail was out delivering medicine to a family in Jerusalem. Her phone pinged. She looked down and saw a WhatsApp message. It was an image. And suddenly I saw my father. He was still hooked up to IVs and oxygen tubes. But he looked alive. He was awake and breathing on his own. She immediately called her father at the hospital. And I started crying. He said, Avigail, what are you crying? Like, I saw you two days ago. He didn't know what he's talking about. See, in Ellie's reality, he hadn't been in a coma. He'd been navigating a series of global catastrophes and failing to save anyone over and over again. When I woke up, I was in the worst situation emotionally that I've ever been in my life. I seen terrible things in my life. I saw bomb attacks. Never felt so distressed like I felt when I woke up. He was disoriented and confused. And then he started talking about a diet we have to take and and he's going to buy a lot of vegetables and we're going to start a diet. I'm like what diet? I, we thought you're dead. It took quite a few days for me to get back to myself. Ellie had awoken from terrifying dreams into a terrifying reality, an altered world. And there was a lot of catching up to do. Painful stuff. In one month that I was away, everything shut down. People were dying. People were hospitalized in bad situations. Three cousins of mine, young people, passed away in New York. I realized it was a miracle that I woke up. As he started to grasp the real-world nightmare that was still raging outside, it blended with memories of his hallucinations. Ellie had no idea what was real anymore. As someone who'd spent so many years dedicated to the most important seconds of life-or-death situations, Ellie was now blindsided, traumatized even, by having been saved himself. And that's when our Superman came face to face with another type of hero. Not a savior, exactly, but a healer. Dr. Maria from the hospital, she was holding my hand like two days later or three days later, and she was telling me, Ellie, let me tell you what happened to you. 
The hospital psychiatrist carefully guided him through his feelings. She actually brought me back to reality. But while he was working through all these emotions, carefully discerning fact from figment of imagination, his family in Jerusalem was simply rejoicing. They were so happy. Uh, I actually saw a video of them all dancing in the living room. We put on music on full volume. We just put like happy songs. We, we actually put this, the song Happy. Grab along if you. <laughs> Our neighbors called. They're like, everything okay? Because, you know, the, the house was like silence for, for a month and a half. Everyone was like really sad. And then this music, full volume. I felt like I won the lottery. <laughs> Once he had regained enough of his strength, Eli Beer came back to Israel on a special flight. His whole family came to the airport to meet him. You know, after so many days in the house, we put the pajamas away and we really got dressed. We got there so early because we just we didn't want to miss the landing and everything. They were given permission to wait right on the tarmac, together with hundreds of United Hatzalah volunteers, all wearing their signature orange vests and at least attempting to stand six feet apart. Ellie's struggle had garnered a lot of media attention, so there were TV and radio crews waiting as well. The plane landed. They opened the doors. And suddenly we see our father. You know, seeing a thousand people coming to greet me, it was like crazy. And he started saying Shema Israel. Everyone was crying. Um, he started going down the steps by himself. Probably one of the best days of my life, if not the best, walking down the steps of the plane. It was really hard for him, and he had um, a mask on for oxygen. We started hugging him and kissing him. He said he wanted to kiss the land. He wanted to go down on the floor and kiss the land, but... It was too hard for him. He couldn't lay down, so <laughs> he was pretty tired, and he just wanted to go home. Ellie did indeed eventually go home and started his long path to recovery. And just like the end of any good comic book, after a daring escape from the forces of darkness, our hero is out of trouble and even more committed to saving lives. And that's what I'm going to spend my time doing for the next 95 years. <laughs> but he's also changed. He now knows something that years of giving CPR or treating bloody wounds could never have taught him. As a lifesaver, I finally understand what it is to be in the other side. Because here's the thing. Superheroes have always been great at saving people physically. And then letting someone else clean up the mess. Healing bodies is one thing, but it's not everything. It'll be a while until Ellie is fully recovered. He goes to physical therapy every day. And when he does regain his strength, I imagine he'll be a little less Superman and a little more Dr. Maria. His work will always be focused on the most important seconds of people's lives. But if his brush with mortality taught him anything, it's that those seconds are just the beginning of the healing process. 
And as I look around at a world in so much need of repair, I think someone who understands that is just the kind of hero we need right now. Joel Shupak. Joel also scored that story with music from Blue Dot Sessions and sound design help from Yochai Meital. As always, the episode was mixed by the one and only Sela Weisblum. You can hear all our episodes, including the previous parts of our COVID-19 miniseries, Alone Together, on our site, israelstory.org, or by searching for Israel Story on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all under Israel Story. And while you're at it, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter so that you're always up to date on our new episodes, our live events, and anything else going on here at Israel Story. All you have to do is go to israelstory.org slash newsletter. Before we end, a quick request. One you've heard me and every other podcast host ask a million times before. And that is to help us grow by doing something very simple. Going to Apple Podcasts, rating us, and writing a short and hopefully glowing review. Believe it or not, that really makes a difference and helps us become more visible to new listeners. Thanks to Aviva Wallach, Raphael Pash, Kurt Hoffman, Wayne Hoffman, Sheila Lambert, Erica Frederick, Jeff Fagg, and Joy Levitt. Israel Story is produced in partnership with Tablet Magazine. Our staff is Yochai Meital, Zev Levi, Joel Shupak, Yoshi Field, Skyler Inman, Sharon Rappaport, and Rotem Tzin. Abby Adler, Marie Ruder, and Carly Rubin are wonderful production interns. Jeff Umbro from the Podglomerate is our marketing director. I'm Ishi Harman, and we'll be back very soon with part five of Alone Together. I said that maybe we can start a Tinder that is just for corona patients. And the first date can be going to visit grandma and grandpa. No fear. (laughs) So till then, stay safe, shalom shalom, and yalla bye. So now we are in the the yard, the shelter. We make a tour. Come on and show you. Dogs, you want to see dogs? Dogs, let's go to see dogs. Hey, rabbits, we have also rabbits if you want. Here I show you rabbits. Shalom, Ken. Shalom. Maybe you're going to adopt one. Shochen Bamomi Alha 